Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. I'm Rob Klein from the Freemasons Foundation, which has proudly partnered with the University of Adelaide to create the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. The centre supports young scientists who are dedicated to undertaking research, addressing some of the biggest health issues important to men. So far, we have produced hundreds of research publications and initiatives which make a difference in everything from depression and sexual health to heart disease and prostate cancer. The Men's Health Matters podcast series showcases some of our current research which is aimed at advancing the health and well-being of all Australian men. And now, here's your host, Cameron Giz, to take you through it. I'm really excited to bring you this special edition of the Men's Health Matters podcast, where I talk with two of my closest friends, Tom and Callum, about young men's health. We cover a range of topics, including mental health, masculinity, happiness, sexual health, and the importance of going to the doctor. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome again to the Men's Health Matters podcast. On this special edition of the podcast, I'll be talking with two of my closest friends, Cameron and Tom, about men's health issues and getting their ideas and opinions on a wide range of topics. Thanks, fellas, for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Khan. Yes. So, jumping right in, what do you guys think are the biggest health issues facing young men? I'm supposed to be asking you that. Oh, well, fucking go ahead. What do you, th- what do you think, Khan, is the biggest health issue facing young men? Um, I would say, oh, I guess, you know, not all young men are the same, but I would say body image is a pretty big one. Um, <clears throat> so when you say body image, um, are you referring to maybe the use of kind of steroids and other bodybuilding on the, on the, substances? on the extreme end, but mostly just the emphasis placed on the male physique and the extent to which your physique makes you a man. And I think that there's a lot more pressure in that respect than there's ever been. Um, And then I would also say perhaps just some anxiety over where men are meant to fit in in the world in this generation and working out what makes men men and it's sort of redefining that from past generations, especially now that the world's changed so much. Do you think that masculinity is under threat? No, I don't think it's under threat. I think it's just morphing and changing into something else that we've never had and evolving and that, that will in the end be a healthy thing because uh, you know now men more than ever are able to talk about their mental health and about their feelings and you know be more sensitive than they've been allowed to be in the past but it's something that's going to take a lot of getting used to and we have to change the stereotype of what a man is so that we can evolve that in a healthy way and i think that's happening but i think it's a bit of a uh, uncomfortable growing process where we work out what that's going to be and i think in the same way the uh the traditional ideas of what it is to be a woman uh, is also also changing and that that's largely positive and that, uh, yeah, the definition of what makes a man a man and a woman a woman is changing and we're undergoing that transition period at the moment. But um, it would be a good thing in the end, but it's just at the moment it's causing quite a bit of uncertainty because there's just so much change. Yeah, and I think one, one thing that you touched on was um, 
you know, this idea that men have more uh, scope to discuss their feelings and, you know, if they're having a tough time than ever before. Um, so organisations such as Beyond Blue and Headspace, among many others, uh, are trying to destigmatize. I think that's working. Issues. I think it's being treated as a weakness less and less. I think the majority of people these days, if you were to go to them and talk about your own mental health issues that you're having or someone's going to raise them, and you often see it, someone who will post on Facebook about some struggle they've been having for years that people didn't know about and it's just some mental health issue. And pretty much always the response is really positive from people who you know say that they're brave and want to be there for them and you know often inspired to share their own stories i think that is a result of that destigmatization and shows that you know we are making progress but that's breaking down a wall that's always been there for men and that's one of those pillars that i'm talking about when we're redefining what what makes a man a man is breaking down that that sort of thing and i think we're making ground um but it's one of those things that's just going to take a lot of time to be accepted and to teach men that they should share those things um, and that it doesn't make them weak to uh, you know express how they're feeling what about what do you think about that issue Tom <coughs> which one about do you think that mental health promotion is making a positive difference in young young men and just uh, maybe men in general's ability to talk about their mental health yeah anytime anytime you raise awareness I think it helps um, people know that they're the only one out there experiencing things and, and they feel more comfortable reaching out to help. Um, in terms of, you know, the biggest threat to, to health, you know, we have, you know, physical health problems or mental health problems, but again, I'm picking up on what Callum said, I think it's, you know, there's a bit of a, a dilemma around what, what does it mean to be a young man now? What do we do? Um, and we get told a lot of different things from a lot of different sources and oftentimes they contradict each other and there's this very big void of uh, identity. And I think that's a, a key issue. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out, well, what do we, what do, we do now? Um, so I think these mental health problems and physical health problems are probably symptomatic of some greater, uh, as cheesy as it sounds, existential void. Um, yeah, so that kind of existential void that you're talking about do you think that's to do with um you know there not being as, as much religion as there was before <laughs> oh man that's a i don't think it's about uh, about religion um i think it's about transition um also like without wanting to sound misogynistic at all men have sort of recently lost their typical role as providers um, where probably the first generation where the woman is just as likely to be bringing home as much money as the man or more and I think that in a good way uh, women need us less than ever and it used to just be a given that women needed men because of the whole protection thing and the nuclear family and the, someone to work and bring home the bacon and that whole uh, mindset. And I think that that's totally shifted and men are trying to figure out or hold on to what makes them valuable and how they can distinguish themselves and set themselves apart and still be useful and what is their role now. And that's why I think the physical thing has become you know, accentuated in the last decade or so because it's like the most primal 
masculine part of ourselves that there's certainly like a subculture that thinks you know it gives me control over my physical body if i can just train this and build this up and you know blow it out of proportion then it will give me power it'll give me it'll be a defining feature for me it'll make me into a man and they sort of there's so much emphasis on the physical self because we're not quite sure what else around that makes us a man but we know that if we have the body then will be regarded by other men and by women as a man based off based off the body and it's a fairly shallow shallow one-dimensional way of thinking but i think we're still working out how the other elements in life and much broader parts of ourselves come together to make you know a complete individual where it's just simple to just focus on the body and i think a lot of that's been happening so that identity vacuum yeah, but I don't, I don't, by that. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we're needed less now to provide, but I don't think that means men are needed less. I think we needed less to provide. It's just one role. I think there's always going to be a role for a man. It's never going to be, you know, oh, men needed. We needed men to protect us and give us stuff, and now we don't need men anymore. There's, you know, we wouldn't say we need women. We needed women back when they weren't providing typically for us, you know, take a hundred years ago. And I think it's the same thing. I think it's about transition, you know, what is the new role? What is the new identity? And I think men were men before men were providers. So I think it'll be about figuring out what that is. Can you say what that is? Or do you have any ideas on what that is? Or what do you think that is? Oh, courage and bravery would be two things I would point to when I think about who my male idols would be. You know, if you talk you're not about, talking about slaying dragons and doing miraculous things. No, about standing up for what you believe in, um, putting others first. I mean, this is just coming from, this is just my opinion, and this is just looking at people who, who I would look up to, um, not worrying about what other people think. And it's interesting what you were saying about the body image kind of epitomizing as like a, a physical manifestation of a lack of masculinity. And there's numerous reasons why people would, would get into bodybuilding and, and try and, and uh, blow up their physical self. But that's a, that is a really interesting take on, on as why people would feel the need to do that. Yeah, that's cool. I agree. I haven't heard it articulated that way before. And I, I think, you know, it's a good point. Um, do you guys take your physical and mental health seriously at this point in your life? Yeah, more seriously than ever, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, well, I, I first started really thinking about the mental health side of things for the first time probably when I was about 21, and that was because of you introducing me to a way of thinking and putting some books in front of me and getting into the whole idea of like presence and dabbling with meditation and things like that. So I started thinking about that stuff then, but now that I have a career and that having my mind be sharp and more so than that, my emotional health is really important. I need to not make sure that I'm in control of my emotional health and not let stress get the better of me, better, better of me, especially in like a stressful environment and sort of realizing that a lot of the time, you know, it's not you against anyone else. And even saying you against yourself is kind of adversarial, but you, it's all, it's all comes down to, you know, you're the one getting up every day and doing it and, and no one else is going to do it for you or really care about it. And you have to look after your own, health and looking after your body and looking after your mind is crucial to being able to put yourself in a position not to succeed in the typical notion of you know making money and and progressing at work although that's part of it but just in terms of being able to be 
healthy and therefore happy i think it's extremely important especially to take care of your mind but for me like body and mind are interwoven and i wouldn't be mentally feeling right if i if my body wasn't feeling right um but i would say mentally it's become a, a bigger thing now where in my spare time i'll be trying to find a, a new book or read a new opinion or watch a new you know documentary or listen to a new podcast because I want answers on how other people have managed to handle just the thoughts in their head and and you know keep striving but also realize the moment and just those sorts of questions I'm more interested in than ever yeah and Tom there's a question about do you take your physical and mental health seriously yeah yeah absolutely man um you know, you want to have your best goal at life, you you got to look after yourself. It's a bit of a get out what you put in. And if you want to, you know, hold down good relationships with other people, you know, you need to, you need to look after yourself. So how do you go about that? <laughs> um, meditate 16 hours a day. <laughs> nah, I, I did That's actually. Oh, well, I like... I live in a cave. <laughs> oh man, just um, everything in moderation. Make sure you exercise, eat, your, eat healthy food you know most of the time and um if something feels wrong pay attention to it because it's probably a sign that something is wrong if you mentally feel like you're really struggling with something or you're like unnecessarily anxious or you know your heart's just beating really fast or you can't get your mind off something or you're feeling down do you feel like you have the capacity or the tools or the relationships available to be able to pull yourself out of that uh, it depends. I mean, this idea of pulling pe- yourself out of it, because I've heard other people talk about this before, like, why can't I snap out of this? And, and I think it's different for different people. I think people can go in and, in and out of uh, headspaces um, quite differently. But I think it's about knowing what works for you. And, and if I, like, for me personally, with your question, yeah, I can recognize, um, you know, if something's wrong, I can, I can recognize what's wrong. I can recognize what behaviors I'm doing that contribute what thought patterns I have that contribute and I can I can generally um, work with it and, and within a couple of days you know it's gone so so yeah because you realise the why for why you're feeling a certain way you know what's causing those feelings yeah and I also know what perpetuates the feelings so sometimes the thing that starts it will be small but it sets off a series of other thoughts and behaviours that turn it into this snowball effect I think it's realising that you're in control of that and the way you perceive your world and your own problems to be becomes the reality and I think a lot of people who feel like victims who are trapped in and really spiral out of the control are the ones who feel like you know they're not in control someone else is dictating how they're feeling and and what's happening to them and therefore they can't save themselves because they're a victim it's a it's a very tough argument because on the one hand yeah you have to be able to take responsibility to make a change I firmly believe that. On the other hand, that same message can be flipped and people can feel like they're being blamed for not being healthy. And um, as you've alluded to before, I think acceptance sometimes is fantastic. You know, sometimes you feel bad. That's it. You just feel bad. Like, just accept you feel bad and don't buy into it. Just let it feel bad and it will pass. Um, And that's like where psychology is going with the third wave behavior Mm. therapies, cognitive behavior therapies like uh, acceptance and commitment therapy that it's okay to be suffering and that 
fighting against that can actually create more suffering in itself. Yeah, and the expectation, you know, you're not meant to feel great all the time. You know, you can get to yourself to a point where you generally feel good most days and you've certainly got a positive outlook. But in terms of being really high energy and, you know, feeling almost euphoric in terms of being at one with everything, like that's something that you have to work on constantly and it's not a given that everyone should be happy in their own definition of the word every at every moment. And no, it's, no. it's normal. It's normal to struggle with feeling discontent. Can I ask a question? What role do you think that our culture of constantly being happy and that kind of image um, being put to us through meet the media and social media, what role do you think that that has on people's mental health? Well, I think the image of what happy is is wrong. In, by my own understanding of it. Um, you know, I would say that all the images we get are just uh, material achievement and excess and uh, putting yourself first and dominating others. And I think that is, that is held up as what we're supposed to strive for. And I think even when people are at the top of the pecking order in that chase, they, uh, even when they're, achieving those milestones they're probably feeling pretty hollow and i think that 99 percent of them wouldn't understand why and probably wouldn't share that with anyone either um and so i think we're sort of stuck with even people who are achieving really highly on that kind of scale probably not feeling that happy about it but people still idolizing them and trying to do what they're doing because they're not aware that when they get to whatever that is they actually won't be they won't have the contentment that they that they think they will. You know? I know, man. Um, so moving on. Uh, hey, but just what just before you do, man, that was kind of interesting because you were almost referring to like that's almost like an emotional capitalism in terms of like the pecking order of feeling good, and I want to feel better than the next. Well, why do we want everything that's you know held up, which is especially as we edge into mid to late 20s, which is, you know, you supposedly get invisible brownie points for ticking things off the list, like getting a house or getting engaged or getting a new car. The happiness thing in my opinion. But people say that, they're like, okay, it's good to have that, it's good to have that, it's good to... We just intuit that those things are good, but why is that? And I think most people would say, oh, because that makes you happy. That's what they'd say, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I think the happiness thing is nonsense, man. I think happiness is just a byproduct. Um, I think what people, I think that, uh, granted, I'm only 24, but just feeling comfortable in your own skin, I think, is, is the biggest, you know, contentment. If you can be content on your good days and your bad days, then I think you're solid. But the whole, we create this expectation that you go to feel happy and like, what is that? Like, you can't. It's and also that, that it's, not, it's not human to feel happy all the time. <laughs> also <laughs> that happiness comes from achievement like just constant progression and achievement and I think there's certainly it's good to always feel like you're moving forward and like you're developing I definitely agree with that but in terms of thinking that you need to achieve the next goal or be like violently striving towards it in order to be happy as you go about your day-to-day life in that you know, you only deserve happiness as you put more ticks in boxes. I think that's misguided because you're always chasing after the next thing and you end up just chasing the dragon when really you just need to be doing day to day. What do you think, Gavin? 
Um, I agree with what you said, to be honest. Like, uh, obviously achievement's important and it does lead to, I guess, an increased confidence uh, in your own self-efficacy and that's a valuable thing to have. But if you're constantly relying on just achievement to feel contentment um, when you don't get there, then you're in trouble. Well, even if you do, I just think it's so fleeting because you're not going to give yourself, if you have that mentality, you're not going to rest on your laurels, which I suppose is a good thing in the sense that you progress at such a prolific uh, rate. But I think it would encourage you to sort of brush off your achievements. The more you achieve, the more you would be hungry for more and, and perhaps never actually feeling the feelings that you're striving to achieve the things for. Do you think this feeds back into your question before about what you were talking about with what does it mean to be a young man? Yeah. Like you well, we're all trying to prove ourselves in some way, aren't we? No. Not just young men. <laughs> we're not all trying to prove ourselves in some way. You don't think so? No, no, I think I think people with different journeys and, and I think um, there's definitely a lot of pressure to it to do what we're told by society or, or something but I think yeah what you don't think we all feel pressure to be you know like a valuable what we in our own minds think is a is a you know a valuable contributor to society no I think the majority would feel that the way. majority I think would feel that way okay, I, I yeah, can't yeah. make a statement about all you know um, yeah no, you're right like it, it, maybe what maybe the best thing would be to figure out what you want like what do you truly want you know if, if you want to that be, would be the best thing I don't think many people could answer that I think it will take him a long time to answer that. Yeah, I think you're supposed to know when you're, you know, early to mid twenties. I don't think you're supposed. I I don't think that age makes that big of a difference. I don't think that you get a wildly different answer from asking middle-aged people to people our age if you ask them that question. I think the only difference and the gift that we have for being so much younger is if we can put more time and energy into figuring it out now, then we have a much better chance of achieving that before it's too late to change it. Well, I think trying new things and having new experiences gives you more almost evidence for what you think that you should be yeah, doing more scope yeah and so the older you get the more well this isn't for everyone because some people just get stuck and they get stuck doing what they you know thought that they were supposed to do and they never try those new things that could have led down different pathways um, and led to more fulfilment but um I think if you're open-minded and you're always trying new things, trying to find that why, then you're probably more likely to get it down the, down the track. Um. I think it's worth having these discussions and thinking about this stuff hard now while a lot of us still don't have responsibilities that are locking us into living a certain way or living in certain places. It's very important to ask these questions now and really think about where you're going and angling yourself and why you're doing that because you ha- you'll never have more opportunity to change your path than you do now. Well, I think in modern society, it's very different to what it was like 20, 50, 100 years ago in that we have a lot more freedom to move around, to change careers, to, to you know, move yeah, overseas. And a lot of us were told that we can do whatever we want. You know, lucky, privileged people who came from those good backgrounds like... Parents always said you do anything you want if you put your mind to it. I think we'd be one of the first generations that was told that. 
do you think that's a generally positive thing or do you think it also has negative consequences oh uh, yeah i think it is definitely generally positive but i think there would have been a certain amount of security in the past in a kind of a depressing way that came from you know oh uh, i don't know i know where you know your grandpa did something your dad did something and you were going to do the same thing and there was never going to be any two ways about it and your future was just decided for you. And There's so comfort you, in that. In and you're way. like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to be a logger like Daddy was. And here's Daddy before him, and that's what I was going to do. You know? And so you would just accept that, and then you wouldn't be stressed about trying to find your perfect life or live your best life because you was just going to do what Daddy did. And he was going to do what Daddy That's really interesting, though. But also, that's kind of sad because what if you didn't want to be No, nah, it's not sad. It, it's, it adds simplicity. But, like, are you a logger or are you a family man? Because if we're going to... Hey, no offense to loggers, but... No, 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 no. But, like, let's take that example, right? Like, okay, so you were, you were saying, okay, I'm a logger. My dad was a logger. He was a logger. My dad was also a dad. Yeah. He was a family man. So we could define you now by your, your career. Or we could say, you're still just a family man. Yeah. And I think we've created this expectation that life is wonderful because of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we this unrealistic expectation about what life offers and um we so, so that would be the negative side of that you're yeah. special you can do anything yeah because yes. you're not because special you can't. and you can't, and you can't do, do anything. anything and then people feel like they you are li- you're limited and yeah. then well and people feel like they failed then but the flip side of a limit is that what you do do is fantastic like that's that's exciting because you did it and it's like i did wasn't expecting to do this if you expect to do it and you do it then you met an expectation if you never expected to do it and you do it, well, now you now it's exciting. Now it's like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. So freedom is great, but the but this expectation might be a, a yeah. There's a bit of a, in my opinion, a bit of a harmful side to it. Yeah, there's always two sides to every coin. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll move on now to sexual health. Uh, so <laughs> this is an interesting area, and I just want to get your thoughts about. Um, you know, do you think young people and young men especially uh, are engaging in safe sex practices and, uh, I guess, mindful of their sexual health? I would have no idea, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think even though, especially as we get more towards middle age, I think we like talk about that probably a lot less. I mean, we still talk about it a bit, but, you know, it's no longer, you know, something that we really show off about and, you know, like when you were still in your late teens and early 20s where it was, you know, a, a competition to some and bragging rights and, you know, it was held up as, like, the cool thing to do to have as many conquests as you could and, you know, it was funny. And I think um, now that we're more, like, adults, we keep to ourselves a lot more that kind of information and we, we don't really strive to just have as many sexual partners as we can now or to, to brag about it now. It's just kind of... You know, something that you do, probably like a bit more uh, respectful of it or, you know, you just don't prioritise it as much as probably seeming, using it as something that defines your masculinity, I guess, as much as you probably used to. Um, and I just wouldn't really know about other people's actual sexual habits and whether they're into like safe sex or not. I just don't really talk about that with people like, <laughs> you know. Down at, the, down at the shops. Yeah. What I do you think, think Tom? And I think oh, a lot no. of people, I, I guess it just depends who you know, but I know a lot of people my age now who are like in relationships and have been for a few years or, and that seems to be more common. And so I guess, you know, that they'd be having pretty safe 
sex practices because they'll probably have a sex with the same person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, 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 like you said, it's hard to know what's going on. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, research on the area. And I, th- it, I get the sense that um, there's a rise in, you know, STIs and STDs in young people. But, you know, could that be from, I guess, how easy it is now to, to meet and have sex from, from dating apps and, I guess, our kind of culture? And, like, more awareness, you know, more people getting tested probably now. Like, I think probably going and getting tested is fairly, fairly common. I don't know how much that's increased in recent years. So you think people are getting tested more now? Yeah, I reckon. I think it's probably pretty normal to get, like, tested, and I think that maybe comes with an increase in, like, sexual activity. But then maybe we just weren't as aware of it as before. I think humans have always been pretty sexual. Yeah, I suppose, like, the knee-jerk reaction is if you look at something like Tinder, I suppose, you know, there's always some are and some aren't um, in terms of, like, sexual health. But I suppose now you have this app where you can condense maybe the more risky population into one section and they can meet each other. And so maybe there's a greater likelihood of the same people having more unprotected sex. That's uh, true. That's, guess, a, that's a really smart point. Yeah. And then if you, I probably just think that... <laughs> I never thought about it that way. I probably just think that everyone has Tinder. That would be my response. <laughs> but then that shows me that I'm probably in that. You're, in the, you're in the risky part. You're in the I bubble, am not <laughs> in danger. I am the danger. <laughs> And <laughs> I would also say that by this age, you've probably had at least one or two quite scary experiences in relation to your sexual health slash in relation to potentially getting people pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you've probably done something by this point that has freaked you out enough to have a good think about it. Yeah. So I would say that now I'm actually probably a lot more safe sexually than I was in previous years I used to be really safe when I was like a teenager if you could then I went not safe at all because I was like I'm invincible thinking about whatever. yourself in that not safe phase yeah what would have helped you like educationally how it's a good question uh probably it's people hard. coming in and telling uh, the class about how they had all these plans for their life and then they got this chick pregnant kind of like real sex ed you know you mentioned that word invincibility that's a real thing with I think men. young men need to do it like it's it's one of those things that almost can't be taught because you can't you almost can't talk to young men at that age you need you need young men who are slightly older than them to go and talk to them you almost need to bring people in from outside of school yeah that's what I mean definitely yeah. and that would give them like a slight chance but even then even if it's someone five years older than me telling me what is true I would not believe them because I'd be like whatever I'm not you yeah. and they need to go and do it and roll the dice and roll it a lot of times and hopefully you get away with it so fingers crossed if you say like four Hail Marys and you might dodge a bullet and you can get on with the rest yeah, of yeah that's life. all it is like the difference between <laughs> people who have paid the price steeply yeah. and me is that I've dodged some bullets and they just copped them <laughs> yeah I've dodged some bullets too and thank the Lord Jesus for yeah, that and here we are amen um, we have a, a, a project at the Men's Health Centre at the moment. It's called the Men's Health Research Register, um, or Men's Health Register for short. But it's a, a thing in which men can sign up to and participate in the research projects happening in the centre. And we've had quite a, a difficult time getting young men involved. Um, what, what, what would your ideas be about getting more young men involved in research? You know, it's more like 
altruistic participation in research. What kind of researchers in they are the ones who are contributing as So that would be the participants that are yeah. just giving their time okay. for the sake of research. And to what type of studies? Yeah. Um I, I guess it's quite quite a variety of different studies like uh Well I guess people around don't have, around men's health really. People don't have a lot of time these days to you know are you talking about things where they just need to do a survey for an hour or that they need to come yeah, in surveys um sometimes come in and do things for the the researcher i would say make them feel let them feel heard give them open-ended questions i mean people enjoy offering their opinions yeah i think but how do you sell it give them a, how do you sell it you incentivize is that do I do, do some what you're doing now? You know, like we get a cheap Coles gift card for this, but it's fun being able to talk about your views and and knowing. Don't talk about the Coles gift card. <laughs> Keep that on the low. Coles gift card. Um, <laughs> let them feel heard and, and appreciate it. I don't know. I don't know how how is that mu- that message currently getting out there? What do people do? Um, well, I guess the the marketing campaign has been quite limited um, because of funding. So there hasn't been too much done to actually engage with young people, but it's just interesting to hear ideas of you know what you could you could do in the future. I guess to yeah, to yeah. to recruit young men for research. I think young people don't want to do shit for free, but I think a lot of young. I'm quite enjoying this. Um, I think there'd be a surprising number of young men and young women that would be interested enough to get together in groups and just talk about stuff like we're talking about now. Because this is the kind of stuff that we really care about. But we spend a lot of our time doing our job or doing our uni course or whatever. And this is the stuff that is just under the surface that we kind of have to deal with ourselves or deal with with our friends. And I think that if you get groups of people together of you know a similar age and put these topics in front of them, then they're going to have a lot to say and they're probably going to feel better afterwards. So I would be like, you know, I don't know, it's hard to get people to give up their time, but encouraging groups not just by yourself but you know get people you know come in all at once and like have a discussion you know because mm. rather than just me doing survey results and i don't get to speak and you know i'm not going to hear from anyone else yeah and i think there is a need to actually engage more with the you know the general public and because i think sometimes research can get trapped in that purely theoretical you know research position Last question, and we'll leave it here. Um, what do you guys think about going to the doctor? Um, I do it, even though, and there's been a few times recently where there have been things I did not want to go to do. Um, but, and I think there's, I still am of the mentality that I hope things will go away on their own, and I have the ability to ignore things for a, a little while it's but a very if, male trait we definitely and I'm aware that I'm doing it when I'm doing it and I'm aware that this is what they always talk about not doing and I'll still do it for a bit but I do get to the point where I'm like alright if this isn't going to resolve you need to go and do the right thing and I do do it how could doctors and GPs services be tailored towards young men so that maybe they wouldn't second guess going to see the doctor Just go to the doctor. It's a cultural change. It's a cultural thing, surely. Like, it's not about going in and having a, you know, firm handshake and you know, make you feel welcome. It's just about rate, just changing the stereotype. Just go to the doctor. I'm lucky I got a fantastic doctor, but 
Um, that's not a big deal. I think that will happen more as some of the other things change. Like, you know, we're talking about men being more open in general and, you know, destigmatizing mental health. I think physical health will also be destigmatized along with that. And the more open we are about speaking about this problem and that problem, then and going to the doctor isn't yeah. something that, you know, your mates are going to laugh at you because you got someone to stick their finger up your ass. They're ass. not even going to know if you don't tell. No, exactly. Um, They've the doctors would have seen it all anyway. So yeah, exactly. They've done that so many times today. So just like in in your own head, but I think it's just learning that the mental anguish that comes with that stuff and not knowing it because you're not a doctor, and then trying to ignore it or fix it your own way is just not worth. <laughs> It's when you can just go, <laughs> yeah. someone can just tell you. And also with the internet and other people who don't know in your own mind, oh. you're going to convince yourself that you have days to live. <laughs> what is that? It's just uh, terrifying. And you don't need to do I've that. definitely thought I've had cancer. WebMD? About yeah. 10 times in my life. Yeah. WebMD's horrible. Never get on WebMD. Yeah, I never do that. But I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bad. Just go, yeah, convince myself of some ridiculous things. Right, and so then you go and you're like, oh, I'm not, I do not have prostate cancer. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to die. And yeah. they're like, no, dude, you just need a cream or something. Like, that's chill. Um, that's very revealing. Uh, <laughs> so I guess final thoughts, young, uh, young men's health. What, uh, what do you think about this discussion? What have you learned? Any insights? What are your final thoughts about what we've talked about? Jeez. It's, you, you go first. Uh, I think there is maybe just in my circle, but very unlikely. I think more now than never, you know, we sit down and have these conversations and I'm interested to hear what he has to say and you, and I want to know because I want the answers. And the only other people who know about this stuff are people who are going through it at the same time. And I think more so now than ever, people are willing to sit down and have these conversations and hear about these insights and be genuinely interested in it. Because we care. I think we care more now than ever about this stuff and realise the importance of it now more than ever. And therefore, I think we're all going to learn a lot more about it than we ever would, and that would be really beneficial to us. I don't think there would have been groups of men sitting down like this and like they're doing groups all over the world doing this you know as much as we do now in previous times I'm going to sound like a turd for what I'm about to say in terms of chasing answers but I think it's a bit of a bit of a paradox I think sometimes the more we chase answers what we really need to do is just chill out take a step back it's not that serious you know appreciate what we've got don't worry about other people feel happy for people and don't compare yourself to them at the same time yeah I I guess I feel, you know, very similarly to you, Tom. Um, one insight that I got from this conversation was what Calum said earlier about, uh, I guess, that void of identity for, for young men um, at the moment and how a lot of young men are filling that with, um, you know, expanding. What was, how did you put it? Well, well, focusing on their physical... Focusing on their, yeah, physical appearance and, and that being their, I guess, pathway to demonstrating their masculinity because I guess maybe other pathways aren't as clear in modern times so I thought that was a, the way you articulated that was really good but then I also think um, like what Tom was saying and there's a quote that resonated with me recently that I, I know it resonated with me because I made it my phone wallpaper <laughs> and it was an Oscar Wilde quote which was 
life is too important to be taken seriously. And I think that's important too because as much as we're thinking about these things and trying to solve them in our heads, I think it's also understanding that there aren't necessarily answers there to be taken mm. and we can learn what we can learn and it's good to think about these things but we shouldn't be pressuring, pressuring ourselves constantly to have to know the right way to live I think we just need to chill bucket out sometimes and it's hard to know how to do that but you just got to be alright with who you are right now and what you're doing right now and with the fact that you don't have all the answers and that they probably don't even exist preach you know yeah man um, well, thank you, Cam and Tom, so much for coming to the podcast. I think uh, it was a great discussion, and it was yeah great to get your insight into um, you know the issues that we talked about. So thanks again. I just want to say thanks again to Tom and Callum for getting involved in the Men's Health Matters podcast. I uh, definitely learned a lot from our discussion, and I hope it was interesting and helpful for you guys listening too. As Tom highlighted earlier, all men are different and our own unique backgrounds and experiences influence our attitudes about these issues and what's important. This is the final instalment of the first series of the Men's Health Matters podcast. I just want to say thanks to everyone who came on the show. Um, It was an absolute pleasure to hear about what you guys are doing in your research and I think what the centre is doing is fantastic. Um, And if you're listening and interested in sponsoring the podcast or making a donation to the centre, please shoot us an email at menshealth at adelaide.edu.au. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Cheers.